0: This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on my friend, Sean Curran. So Sean is one of my buddies there from Hawaii. And we start out the conversation talking about the Maui fires and uh, just the uh, where we can donate, how we can help, what's going on with them, the reasons why they happen. So I wanted to get into that. Uh, he gave me a, a good site to be able to donate, and that's the People's Fund of Maui. That's the one put on by Oprah and The Rock that both have property there on Maui. He said it's a good fund. Uh, his wife's parents, uh, they were able to, uh, to get uh, accepted into that fund. He said it's a great place and just puts uh, money in the people's pockets to be able to pay their bills and uh, get through this tough time. So you guys can donate there. And then we get into elk hunting. And my buddy Sean is such a good bow hunter. He gets so much experience Uh, out on Maui with the axis deer, uh, mouflon sheep, and things of that nature. And then he's been traveling to the States hunting western game for probably like the last 15, 20 years, and uh, he's highly successful with his bow in his hands. He's killed some great bulls. And uh, so we talk about this year's elk hunt, lessons that he learned, things that he could do different. It's a great, authentic conversation that I really enjoyed with one of my good friends. So uh, we'll get right into that podcast just want to thank my sponsors for today's show. So, I have a new sponsor, Element. Uh Element is spelled L M N T. It's science-backed hydration. So, you add these these packets uh that help with hydration into your water. It's got great flavors, great taste and uh just does a an amazing job at at hydration. Uh, getting you the sodium you need there's no added sugars to this so it's super healthy Uh, and and hydration it's so important especially under this high exertion that we do hunting out west hunting in the heat Uh, i use it for a lot of like extreme running so for these longer races which i'm looking in this next year to do some longer races i use it it's just an amazing product and so uh couldn't be more proud to have these guys on board with the podcast and and there's just so much uh, science backed information about uh, this hydration and how much it helps you. So uh, just gonna talk a couple talking points here. you know it's like steady energy, those electrolytes really help uh, improve cognitive cognitive function. Uh, so think clearly, make better decisions, uh, suffer fewer headaches. Less muscle cramps. Uh, You just perform better. Uh, It supports fasting. Uh, It's just, I really notice a difference uh, keeping hydrated, and that water will will really run through me in high exertion and um, uh, high heat. So, you guys can check them out. Uh, It's Element, it's spelled L M N T. Uh, We have a landing page with a free gift. Um, so this landing page, uh, it's the only way to get the free gift. So you get it with an order, and then they'll give you uh, a sample pack with all uh, the, the packets. So far, I've really been liking the raspberries, the one I've been using, but they also have citrus, watermelon, and I'm getting into trying all these as well. So uh, let me give you guys the, the landing page for the podcast. It's going to be drinkelement.com backslash elevated. So Drink element, which is L-M-N-T dot com backslash elevated uh, will get you that free gift. So um, thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I really appreciate it and believe it's a great product. I also want to thank Matthew's Archery. Oh, man, am I stoked. Uh, today is 1114 as I'm getting this podcast out. And today is the launch day of the new Matthew's bow, the new lift. Uh, I couldn't be more excited mine showed up last night I got it in that desert tan color 70 pound uh, you know I'm 26 and a half inch draw length so I'll be starting to set this thing up tonight I am so pumped with this bow so uh, they redesigned the riser of this bow so they've been using the same riser for the last three years it's redesigned this year and uh, I haven't shot it yet but I've been such a fan of Matthews in that phase four last year so I talked to Dan Picard which is has already killed a good whitetail with his uh but uh i talked to him about it and so he was saying that it has uh the same low vibration same shot feels like a matthews bow just as quiet as last year's phase four but they're getting more performance out of this bow so they're getting about 10 more feet per second out of this bow and talking with dan you know, he tests all these bows, like all the top name brands. And he always gets the best performance out of these Matthews. I mean, these things just hold a tune. Uh, It's been what I've trusted for all my bow hunting the last seven years, eight years, or however long I've been using Matthews. And I'm such a huge fan every single year, the new bow they come out with. So the phase four has been the best bow that I've ever shot. And there's no doubt about it, that this lift is going to be incredible. So uh, if you're if you're interested, uh, pick one up, go shoot one, go get a feel for it. Uh, so stoked on this bow! I'll be starting to set mine up, and I'll get I'll keep you guys updated on how it's shooting for me. But so excited, man! Awesome bow. Over Eastmans, we're cruising along. Make sure to check out my other podcast with Dan Picard. Uh, it's Eastman's bow hunting journal. It's on a different feed. We've been putting out some really good episodes there. Uh, we have a new one. That's a question and answer that comes out, I believe next week. Uh, so thanks a bunch for your guys's questions. It made for a great podcast. So really excited to release that one to you guys. And um, yeah, check out the other podcasts. Ike's got his podcast, uh, Eastman's Hunting Journal on there and uh, everything else we do. The Huntsman uh, with Jim Huntsman, uh, that's a great podcast. I've been a guest on there. In fact, need to get him on um, Eastman's Elevated. Maybe I'll reach out to him. Uh, just a diehard elk hunter and a uh, great guy. So you can check out that as well. And um, man, check out our Beyond the Grids Uh, We had a new episode come out with uh, Ike Eastman. He was bow hunting and then finished up with a rifle in there in Wyoming. Great episode. I've got those couple episodes from last season and just gathering up all my footage to turn in for this year. So I'm down to my last hunt of the season. So I have one more late season hunt here I'm going to do. I'm going to go this weekend for a quick three dayer. Uh, come back to work for a week and then go for an extended trip uh, in fact I'm gonna meet my Hawaii buddies out there and uh, get this so Sean's on the podcast and um, talking about elk hunting we we're gonna meet up for this deer hunt which I think we still are for a couple days or whatever but Utah Division of Wildlife called him about a week ago and said hey Sean uh, this guy turned back in his premium tag do you want this tag to hunt in two weeks? So he ended up taking the tag. He's hunting one of the best units in Utah uh, for one of their late season hunts. Couldn't be more stoked for him. So uh, we'll see what he turns up there. So his elk hunting is not done after this podcast. He's still got another hunt. He's going to go on. So super stoked for that guy. Uh, It's just great. So, yeah, let's, um, let's get into this podcast. Again, that, that element, if you're interested in it, uh, go check it out. Uh, just science-backed hydration, and we have that landing code. you got to put in drinkelement.com backslash elevated to get that. And uh, couldn't be more stoked to have them as a sponsor on there. So check that out. Uh, Sean Kern, I'm your host, Brian Barney. Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Well, right on, man. Yeah, good to get you on the line. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you look a little bit different with the hair, but um, same attitude, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. my wife couldn't stand my hair, <laughs> but I'd tell everybody else that she loved it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, man, you're looking good. Well, Thanks, yeah, just bro. checking in, man. How are the people in Maui doing after the fires, dude? I was so worried about you and uh, Jay and Rob and then your family and friends. How's everybody recovering?
1: Yeah, thanks, man. It, uh, it's it's going to be a long road to recovery, for sure. Uh, it was so devastating, you know, what happened out there and kind of all over the island. Um, almost almost kind of like a wake-up call, you know what I mean? That basically, uh, I don't know if a better system needs to be formulated when natural disasters like that occur. Um, uh, more water in the area is huge, you know, if, if, you know, Lahaina is such an arid place, you know, it used to be the capital of Hawaii back in the day. And, you know, it's because that, because of its rich water resources that they had. And, you know, throughout, I don't know, the last hundred years or so, you know, the, a lot of the private companies started diverting our water. And that causes a lot of arid conditions in areas where there used to be real lush environments or sh- streams that were flowing, um, real green, climatized areas. And since it was so dry, man, that fire just, I mean, people's yards were dry. Everything was pretty crispy and and nobody could have really predicted how strong that wind was gonna be, right? They were claiming it was gonna be 50 to 60 mile an hour gusts, because we have a we had a hurricane pass just south of us. Um, but it was quite a bit south of us, I believe, like 400 miles. Those are so south of us. So, but what ended up happening was the the wind hit the island, and then it ramped up over the West Maui's, and then it just ignited as it came down it ramped up to 80 to 100 mile an hour gusts and nobody could have ever predicted or nobody did predict that it was going to be that crazy and a lot of our power lines were you know probably you know old and needed to be replaced or you know they fell down and they caused sparks and, and before you know it uh you know the fire started in Lahaina, and then as soon as, as one house got hit it just went down the chain and and it's just just a unbelievably horrific horrific thing that happened over there so you know our hearts really go out to the people out there in the community and um it's gonna be a long road to recovery but you know it's a very strong community out there and i, I know that uh you know we'll all everybody on maui will all pull through and 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 uh It'll unify us stronger than ever, you know what I mean, to, to help out. Um, I guess one of the big topics right now is is trying to find longer-term places for the displaced people to live, right, that lost their homes and stuff. Um, you know, because the prices of homes have skyrocketed so high, uh, rent skyrocketed so high and there's already a l- very limited re- uh, resource of places to live before the fire and now you've got thousands of people that, that need places to live and they're just not around so um, hopefully the state can step in and I don't know if they can uh, you know build some homes for these people to live in until their homes get rebuilt or what but you know, what made Lioness so special was, was the people out there in the community. And, you know, hopefully we can keep them here on the island and not have them leave. You know, that's kind of our, our, our main concern right now, is keeping them here. Man. Because it's such a special place. I mean, you've been there. You know, we take the ferry over to Lanai. And, you know, you've cruised Front Street. And, and uh, yeah, man, it's, it's a special place for sure.
0: Man, what a bummer. Yeah, it's like um, such a perfect storm of um, being so dry and like uh, uh, private entities taking the water away and then the winds off that hurricane and coming over top that mountain. And and then, you know, also the infrastructure of those power lines that, you know, poles that need to be replaced and things. And sounds like there was a few mistakes along the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love your outlook on it that, you know, you guys are going to be stronger because of it. And, uh, man, some of the actions from you people helping, uh, other people out there and Lahaina had fires. There was also other fires across the Island too, right? Like, uh, man, I saw people trying to protect their homes and, uh, people chipping in and like, man, you guys really pulled together to get through that. And it was horrific, but, um. Yeah, it was it was good to see like all you guys trying to help out and uh, help everybody get through it that that were displaced or, or had issues and yes, yeah, some people lost their lives, which was just wild, man. It like it just happened all of a sudden. It's something that nobody expected out there. At least at least I didn't expect, or none of us guys in the states thought would happen.
1: Yeah, nobody could have predicted it really. It's is uh super unfortunate um but you know we we want to spread the word that you know as far as the west side it's it's not really available for tourism right now but the rest of maui is you know what i mean south side wailea kihei uh you know everybody that's been to maui kind of knows all the other places you can come and visit right now is actually a really good time to come there's not many people here it's beautiful weather's been great um hey bring your bow you know come back. (laughs) we've actually got some opportunities too i wanted to touch on that uh if people are looking to access deer hunt out here we've we've got a feed the hunger program that we implemented and uh we've been targeting these um these areas that are kind of archery only because a lot of our deer have been getting pushed into archery only areas so we've been uh hitting those places quite a bit lately and if if anybody wants to come out they can reach out to me on my instagram at missions hawaii and if uh you know access deer is something on their bucket list right now is a good time to to come hit that up and all the meat gets donated you know to the people of lahaina to and and then the the community on maui 100 percent all the meat goes to the community over here uh, and, uh, yeah, it's a good thing. So if you want to come help out with that, there's just a small fee that we charge that just helps fund the operations and, uh, yeah, you can come out and shoot axis deer till you're blue in the face. All <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> At least try. That is the key words. No, that man, that is so awesome. Sean, like uh, you guys have worked so hard to put this nonprofit together and, and to be able to secure some of the best hunting spots out there. And then to really take care of uh, the, the people that allow permission on. So man, uh, with your guys' spots and the access hunting, like I'd imagine they'd probably be hunting a lot of the same spots that uh, I hunt when I come out there with you. And it's just absolutely insane action man you guys uh, have some crazy uh, access hunting and you've been doing it for your whole life like you've got such a good read and feel on the country on the deer uh, in the terrain as well so man uh, yeah you couldn't go with a better guy in fact I gave a guy uh, your number just like a day or two ago that was headed out in february and uh asking about hunting hogs or hunting axis deer so hopefully he got a hold of you but yeah what a great opportunity for people to come out to hawaii and come experience axis deer hunting man
1: yeah oh it's a blast yeah Yeah. and we're only offering archery only right now uh possibly some rifle spots later on but um yeah anybody that wants to take a crack at it with the bow come on over it's uh it's a ton of fun
0: (laughs) <laughs> oh dude, it is um it's one of the hunts that you can really sharpen your skills because the axes are so switched on and then with the spots you have uh, I would imagine it's a 100% opportunity hunt. Like you are going to get chances to stalk axis. You are going to see axis. You're probably even going to miss some if you're anything like me. Um, those things are so tricky and tough out there. But, yeah, you couldn't plan a better, funner hunt. And what a way to, like, improve your bow hunting skill set is to go out there and get those. You know, I always talk about those high opportunity hunts, and those axis deer are perfect for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they teach you everything, what you can and can't get away with real quick.
0: So, <laughs> they sure do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and some uh, some great bucks on the property, too, and I'm sure a good opportunity for doe hunting. And then, um, yeah, it's just an inexpensive trip when they just uh, pay a small fee to you. And then they're, uh, a hunting license in Hawaii and the logistics are fairly easy when you've got the property lined up.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, Maui is mostly private. So, you know, I do get uh, hit up a lot, you know, asking about, you know, some kind of public grounds over here. And we really don't have it, unfortunately. Uh, We do have some areas where, you know, they're really pretty areas. But hold on one sec, Brian.
0: Sorry. No worries.
1: Sorry, my alarm went off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no biggie. That just Um, means it's a real podcast. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so our public grounds they just kind of lack animals and definitely lack deer. Uh, you know, if, if the deer pop out in our public areas, they're getting shot. So mm-hmm. there's not very many of them at all. A lot of them get pushed into these private areas. But uh, yeah, um, it's 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 fun. It's you can't ask for a funner hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it has been getting expensive as far as the the outfitting costs go but we 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 give a really good deal because you know we're hired to take numbers down you know so we're not out there just just trying to shoot big bucks here we're out there you know unlimited does uh you know spikes and you know you can you can get one good trophy buck so yeah that's kind of what we offer
0: yeah Dude, it's the yep. best deal going. Yeah, it's um uh take him up on it. Reach out to his Instagram and um go hunt with these guys. They got some great property and some great access deer hunting. So um yeah, thanks so much, Sean. I'm so glad that you offered this on the podcast that we can put it out to people. So uh you you're probably going to have to be spending your time um, answering messages now. But, yeah, hopefully you get some of these guys out and get them some good bow action. But um, I want to get into your, your elk hunt and hear more about that, so let's connect on your elk hunt and um, finish the conversation.
1: Sweet. Right on, Brian. I'm pretty
0: Well, dude, just you're just sure. coming off an elk hunt.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I've pretty much came up with the conclusion that september's we need more september can't we have like two or three september
0: <laughs>
1: They <laughs> fly by so fast
0: oh you know? dude i'm never working another september as long as i live it's just the best month to go chase bulls it's so action-packed isn't it
1: yeah it's i've hunted a lot of animals all around the world and the states and uh it's my favorite Uh, And and I don't know, Brian, I I could kind of see it rubbing off on you a little bit. I don't know if if, uh, elk's taking over the mule deer spot or not, Mm -hmm. but I noticed that you've been pretty pretty into it lately as well
0: Mm -hmm. well always into it it's where i cut my teeth for sure it's tough for me to pick a favorite but when it comes to september my favorite is definitely elk i forget about those mule deer for one month a year uh, at least september and october but yeah dude it's like the absolute best most thrilling hunting there is like how could you not love it so yeah it um it's pretty action packed, man. Um, just love chasing those things around. They're so difficult and challenging too. Those big bulls, man, they just challenge you to your core.
1: Yeah, they. Uh, <clears throat> I pretty much have come to a realization that elk hunting is a lot of close calls. <laughs> Because there's just so many close calls in elk hunting that, oh, my God. It, it <laughs> Like, for instance, there were six of us hunting uh, this last trip. We had tags in Idaho. And one out of six of us got a bull. and But everybody, almost every day, was coming back to base camp, you know, that night or whatever, and talking about the close calls they had. And, it, you know, 10 days straight. So you're talking 10 times. That's 60 close calls almost every day. You know what I mean? At, at least four or five out of the six guys had close calls with Bulls. I mean, it's just, but, you know, couldn't get arrows off. Um, they just, they're almost like access Deer, man. They're, I feel like they're always moving. Mm-hmm. They're always moving. Uh, you know, another huge part of it for us this year was the wind. The wind was extremely challenging. Um, You know, sometimes those downhill thermals in the evening would kick on perfectly for that last hour, hour and a half in the evening. But then there was times where you're playing those downhill thermals waiting, you know, to, to make that approach into that bowl that you've been sitting on waiting for the evening play and the thermals never came through. And, and you know, you're creeping in, waiting any minute for those thermals to, to start cutting in your face, and then they don't, and then what happens? The bulls come in, or the elk, and they smell you, and then it's back to the drawing board, right?
0: Oh, man, so- those winds are so fickle in the mountains, like... Not only the thermals and the directionals, but the topography and the way it hits through there, the sunlight, the shade, the timber, the open, the, there's so many variables to that wind in the mountains that it is like one of the toughest things or the biggest challenge to dial in. It seems like, all our plays are based upon that wind and still even then there's just no guarantees. Like you say, usually that last, that last little evening play is like the most consistent winds, but then some days you get weather that comes in and it's doing the exact opposite, you know, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. I did notice that. So if you've got like a front moving in with some, uh, some rain or snow or whatever, a lot of the times that, will keep that dominant wind throughout the evening it won't allow the the thermals to kind of do their thing um you know I'm I'm still having a tough time trying to figure it all out because then you would think you know the next the next day you know the ground's a lot colder and cooler so that should keep the thermals kind of doing their thing for a little bit longer and some days it was the opposite I don't I just i couldn't make sense of it man it was like
0: what? dude <laughs> um, yeah
1: basically i basically go a wind checker and in, in, in one 10-day hunt you know just puffing that thing all over the place <laughs>
0: <laughs> make sure you've got
1: like, dust in the wind checker i'll tell you that
0: yeah dust yeah. in the wind checker i also like that uh that milkweed that that floats in the air where you can kind of see it float off like that stuff's clutch too, but yeah and and out of you six guys too, you guys are all really good bow hunters and really good elk hunters as well, like you've had a streak going a good bulls you killed a giant last year uh killed a bull the year before like you've gone quite a few years killing bulls um so yeah it was uh it's just definitely just like such a high degree of difficulty every year you go out and try to kill one. It's like this ultimate challenge to try to arrow a mature bull, you know? So yeah, wild that uh, you guys had so many close calls and not as many dead bulls. But when the wind's swirling, it's like that's what you get, you know? You get a lot of close calls, and those bulls have such a knack, don't they, for like stopping with the one tree in the way, stopping on the other side of the cows. Uh, You need them to take one more step, uh, you need them to hold still for two more seconds. Like how many of those scenarios can a guy have before it finally goes right?
1: Uh, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, man, is it a game of chess? It, it really is with, with those mature bulls. Uh, um, you know, the unit we were hunting, there wasn't many cows, so it was kind of nice because, you know, you got these, these bulls with, God, some of them are with one cow or two. Um, Very rarely did we see big herds of cows with the herd bulls. Um, But even when they're with those one or two and, and they're just, you know, chasing them in circles, even trying to creep into that, like, here's a pretty funny story. It, It was on, I think, our second to last day our last evening hunt and i'm sitting on this knob and i'm watching janus go in on this this good bull i mean he he, he was a really good bull maybe a 320 class bull or whatever to, to try and put it into uh, perspective and so we put the bull to bed we went back in that evening janus came from the top and i was on the bottom on this knob kind of watching it all play out just in case he, he came down i would intercept him and he was on the top but the bull was kind of going up and over the top in the evenings. So it played into Janus's hands perfectly. And he's stalking in through the timber. And he's got this bull at like 40 yards. And he's closing the distance. And he looks out the corner of his eye. And there's this grouse staring right at him. And he's like, don't you do it. You better not. Don't you dare do it. Right. And him and this grouse have this stare down for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and this bull is just running in circles with this single cow. This hot cow. Comes out into the opening and Janus is just about to draw back. And there goes the grouse. <laughs> <laughs> and the bull and the cow look over and they, they just knew. You know what I mean? Usually, if a grouse flies away, it's because something's around, and and they uh, ended up boogieing out of there. But I mean, just just that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, what's <laughs> he's like? I didn't see a grouse all freaking day. <laughs> you know, and it, it's just like um, another one. You know, he, he, he Janus got on another good herd bull. 20 yards, peeks over the mound, the herd bull's right on the other side, bugles, scares the shit out of him because he didn't know they were right on the other side of the hump. And uh, draws back, pops up, and he's just settling his pin on the bull, and his cows end up pushing down below him and get his wind and bolt out of there and take the bull right before he shoots. It, I mean, just just like close call after close call. and And on good bulls, too. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean. i don't i don't
0: don't know (laughs) they'll break your heart won't they uh man oh man and and they use that movement as like a defense too like they're constantly moving like sometimes you just can't get a clear shot because they won't stop in a lane or they won't stop for a shot or the moment you draw back and go to shoot then they go to chasing the cow again or whatever you know And, and then just to catch up to them is such a challenge like they can just roll country so well that um you you know, you have a bull, like you have a bull in a perfect spot with a cow or a couple cows and you start moving to that spot. But by the time you get there, they're somewhere else like you. It's um, it, it's like this right. game of like uh, you get close and then you have to readapt to the scenario you're giving and get close and then readapt to try to get in in into range. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's yeah. not like you can see one and make this calculated methodical play because they're never there when you get there.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess, kind of like you always say, you know, when to know when to back out, um, you know, rather than blowing the situation up and then having to start over again on finding elk. If it's if it's just not in your favor, if the wind's getting a little squirrely, if it's if it's getting past that, that 8 a.m., 830 mark, um, play the Game and it sucks. I ain't gonna lie, like you're literally twiddling your thumbs for six hours during the day, you know, 400 yards away from where this bowl went into, and you're just waiting. I mean, a couple of times I just curled up in a little ball and was trying to sleep in the freezing cold. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. Me too, man. Yeah. It's like, a just, uh, it's such a long wait in six hours. That's a short way. Sometimes it's like eight or 10 hours. You're just sitting there just waiting for it to turn back on, but you sure have to put all that focus yeah. in that morning and night. It's all you have, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's the most effective. I mean, I I've talked to Remy quite a bit about elk hunting and, and he's got a completely different, uh, theory. He, he likes to go in that 10 to two o'clock, time frame now i don't know if i guess if if it's an area that's got a big congregation of elk like there's a lot of elk and maybe a smaller area or something i would say hey play the spot and stalk game you know i mean it's kind of like access deer hunting right you blow out a herd you know you're going to get on another herd and you know um i know he likes the bugle so if he gets one that's that's down to play down to you know uh then he'll He'll play that game with the calls and stuff. I'm kind of like you, Brian. I don't necessarily like to call. I like to maybe in the evening time, if at, you know, at night when I have nothing going on and and I want to try to find a play because I've got no morning play or anything like that, then I'll throw out some nighttime locator bugles. And then it's like, hey, there we go. We got a morning play now. Um, If you can't do that, then it's, then it's just, you know, going up to the, the vantage points and, and getting up there at, at the crack of light and glass in Glaston, the, the area. Um, but yeah, Remy likes to hunt that ten to two. Um, of course he's one of the best elk hunters in the world. So <laughs> he kind of knows how to play that game a little better. But I think it's the the best play, like you've always said, is that morning and evening. Um, you know, we we basically would locate some elk in an evening, they'd come out into the the spot. You know, we'd look at our our watches. Six twenty p.m. Okay, they just popped out of the timber. Okay, so we'd go up, or actually, we'd let them be. We'd go up in the morning if the play wasn't right. We'd back out, and then we're like, hey, remember they popped out at six twenty the night before? So that afternoon, we'd start making our way up there around four o'clock. Get set up. Um, usually I think the the best play for us is we'd have one guy sit back at a vantage point and glass for the other guy. And if you got cell reception, you're like, Hey, perfect. You know, Hey, the elk just popped out at the same spot or whatever that really helps out a ton. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so that, that was kind of a big part into getting on elk was, and and they man, if if you're not pressing them, a lot of it's like clockwork. Sure enough, that very next evening, six twenty, 620, six twenty two, two minutes later, popping out of the timber in the same spot, and I'm going up in on them, and I get on this, uh, <clears throat> I get on this herd bull. He's with uh, two spikes, a satellite bull, and like four cows, and I'm creeping up the <clears throat> the side of this uh, spine, and he comes out on this bench and he's doing his thing and, and I'm kind of cutting through the timber on the right-hand side of his spine going up and I can't see the bull, but I can see like some of the spikes and stuff. And then I finally get up on top of the bench and I'm in position and I can see the bull's rack over the hill. I'm like, there he is about a hundred yards away and he's just running and going crazy, figurating his, his cows. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, hopefully one of them, you know, comes into our uh, my shooting lane, and it's open. The bench is pretty open. And sure enough, here he comes on a dead bolt to me, pushing a spike, right? And he pushes a spike right underneath me, okay? The spike comes to a dead stop, puts his nose up, wins me. The ball's looking at the spike, knows that that spike is winning something it doesn't like even though that bull wants to like annihilate that spike you know what I mean the bull turns looks at me and I'm like right in front of a tree pins me he's at 50 yards broadside I'm like you've got to be kidding me and the whole thing just blew up because he blew a spike right underneath me and got my you know what I mean just like Ugh, so many close calls but you know that playing that whole morning evening game is is why you know we even got into that position mm-hmm. uh, i think if you go in there during the midday and you're not a really good caller or a really good spot and stalker or there's just too much things that could go wrong i think during the midday play going into their bed that uh you'll have more opportunities if you kind of uh play that morning and evening game
0: yeah, and yeah. we we all have to build our own style of elk hunting, and and yeah, uh, like like you say that you can't argue with Remy's results. He killed another stud of a bull this year, and so he likes that ten to two. You know, I just find in these high pressure areas where we get tags that these elk are just not active middle of the day. Now, maybe it's not a pressure deal. Maybe it's a habitat deal. But I also find that they disappear in that deadfall, nasty, thick timber in there where it's really tough to sneak up on a herd of elk or multiple eyes in there where I end up busting them more than I end up getting close to them. And so uh, trailing into that thick stuff isn't advantageous for me. And then you know, at least where I'm hunting, like, unless it's a real special day that that those bugles, they shut off at, you know, sometimes as early as 8 o'clock, 8.30, sometimes it's 9.30, 10 o'clock, but once they shut off, they're just not making that noise in the middle of the day, and so for me... Yeah, it's like making the most out of those mornings and evenings, and so much headlamp work this year, where I'd leave the truck at 4.30 or 5 in the morning to get to these good drainages when the lights came on, so I was into the elk, and, like, I was on a great bull. Like, I was in this drainage that was full of elk, like, uh, uh, full of two herd bulls. There was... You know, four or five satellites. There's so many elk in here. I got in, chased them in the morning, uh, almost had a play at them, working them, working them, and they disappear into that thicker timber. Bugles start to shut off, and it's like, okay, I'm not chasing them in there. Winds are starting to switch around. So I just sat there. And, like, then about 1030, I hear a couple cow calls. And it's just that that classic setup of somebody like, ew, ew. You know, a couple cow calls. I'm like, man, is that a human? you ew, ew, hear a couple more and then i hear a bugle and so i start glassing up on the ridge and then i spot the hunters and they had left their truck at daybreak and then they had got to that drainage at ten thirty. so here they're sitting above the best elk drainage in the whole mountain range right now but they don't know that there's an elk in there because those elk don't respond to them and they kept hiking and went out of there and then i hunted that evening and had an insane hunt in the evening so for me, it's just like that morning and night is so important and and also you mentioned the night like listening for bugles like that's key too that's how I killed my bulls. I found them the night before cruising down. It was the one day where i wasn't i didn't hear a bugle i didn't see an elk on my hunt. There was some fresh sign, but driving down to where I was going to camp, I just listened in all these spots and then you know heard a bull, and just like you said, then I had to play for the morning and then ended up killing that bull. Uh, but, but for me, yeah, it's just what works, but I think we all need to build our own styles. And Dan Picard said the same thing to me today that he likes to hunt all day long and kills a lot of his bulls in between 10 and two. I'm like, man, I don't know how you do it. I don't think I've ever killed a bull in between 10 and two.
1: Yeah. I, I think you might be onto something with maybe, uh, less pressured areas. I, I think, uh, you know, it seems like Dan, he, he, he uh, horsebacks in pretty far, I don't know how much pressure is in on those areas. Maybe there is quite a bit. Maybe there isn't. But I think you're on to something there. Less pressured areas definitely probably helps for midday stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, more pressured areas, man. Those elk, they run such a tight, tight program that uh, it's, it's. I like when they let their guard down mm-hmm. in the evening. Yeah. Dan said
0: it to me today, too. He was saying, um, you know, and he works really hard to find those backcountry wilderness spots in Wyoming that he can hunt these low-pressure elk, and he said you know, things just come together easier back there. They call easier. They'll wait a couple more seconds on the shot. He's like, it just comes together easier back there because he's just coming off an ido hunt where he battled away for a bunch of days and had close calls. And he's like, man, it's like almost hunting a different species when you're hunting those high pressure elk versus those low pressure elk. And so, yeah, I mean, I I think we're all kind of spot on. They act a bit different when, you, when you're when you in those places, they don't get pressured. And I, I probably need to pull a page out of his book and like hunt some more of those backcountry spots that I used to get to and not that I'm not hunting backcountry now or backpacking spots but I used to hunt a lot more remote spots uh the the trouble with those spots is like it takes two three days to hike in there you have to commit so much time and if the elk aren't there it's like tough to relocate but when you do find them you might have a better chance at killing them so I just need to mix and match some more of that like into uh these higher pressure zones that I'm hunting too just something that I took away from this season
1: yeah and having camp on your back yeah mm-hmm. kind of just staying with them mm-hmm. yeah that, that that'd be super uh productive I bet and it, you know and then but then I don't know how you do it, man. You're a beast, but, man, when I'm four or five miles back there and, and there's an elk at the bottom of this this drainage just going off, I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get this bull out of here if I shoot this bull? Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. There's There was some, some times this past hunt that I basically passed on where these elk were because, because they were just in this drainage that would have killed me trying to pack that thing out. You know what I mean? It's just not, I don't know. It's not, <laughs> I might sound like a pussy or whatever. I don't care. But you know what I mean? I also don't want to uh, risk, um, you know, the meat spoiling or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Because uh, we, uh, we all know that. I mean, I don't know. It, it got cold a couple of days, but most of the days it was in the 60s almost in the 60s to 70s during the daytime. So I, I don't know if you hang that in a tree for more in a day. If that's going to spoil, I would imagine it'd probably get a little bad, you know.
0: Yeah, and a little uh, bad is gone bad. No, it's just being a responsible hunter, man. It's like, you know, and that's, yeah. that's the that's part of the challenge. As much as I love to hunt elk, it's like something you have to consider when you're hunting them. The same thing as hunting moose. You killed that giant moose a couple of years ago. Like you have to put limitations when you got to carry that thing out on your back and it isn't feasible to kill one. Like, dude, I do the math. Like if I kill one 10 miles back, I'm 10 miles out on the first load, 10 miles back in, 10 miles out. Like by the time I get all said and done, you know, there's 60, 70, 80 miles in there. And like you say, that's only if the weather's good and it's getting down to freezing at night where the meat's going to keep if it's not going to keep for more than a day and spoils well uh you know then i'm i'm super irresponsible like you know i've just made the the largest mistake bow hunting that i can make you know to kill some animal that i can't get out of country so i do think it's being responsible for sure um like some of the places where you can hunt like you have to put limitations on yourself with elk where with mule deer you don't have to when they're a one load one trip out same thing with moose man it's like you know you can only kill them a mile from the river a mile from the road or maybe two three at most but you start killing them further back than that and um yeah you're definitely gonna lose meat.
1: yeah yeah that's what i was thinking you know and then i i always wondered too about game bags brian so you know, there's all sorts of uh, game bags on the market and you have some game bags that are highly breathable. And then you've got some bags that aren't that breathable. Right. So, you know, if it's cold, then that's fine with the ones that aren't as breathable. But if it's not cold, you really need those game bags that are more breathable. You know, if you're hanging them in a tree or whatever. And you're mostly running game bags. Like, you know, we noticed there's quite a bit of flies, you know, cause I did end up getting a bull and I'll tell you about it later on. But, um, you know, the flies came around pretty quick. So if you don't have them in game bags, uh, I would imagine, you know, those flies are going to start tainting the meat, laying their eggs and all that sort of deal. So you, you gotta be careful on what game bags you, you choose, you know, for the climate that you're hunting. Um, depending upon how quick you can get that meat out and and on ice or, or in some kind of cold, cold climate.
0: 100%. Well, and you know more about that than anybody there on Hawaii. Like you can't leave that meat. Like everything goes bad in Hawaii in a matter of minutes, not hours. It seems like, you know, whether it's fish or meat or whatever it is, but you guys uh, have the ultimate meat care to take care of those axes and to get them on ice, get them chilled down, get them butchered. Uh, like it's, uh, probably one of the most challenging places to hunt just because of meat care over there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you use a lot of ice over here, <laughs> big getty coolers. Um, yeah, we noticed that, um, you know, you can let them even, you can let them hang for like an hour or so, maybe hunt a little bit, but then, yeah, you got, I think you have about a two hour window in Hawaii to get that meat on some ice. um, and then, it, you know, of course, it always helps if you cool the meat down. Like, I know hunting with Remy a lot, he always does this. He always lays his meat, like, on a log or uh, or hangs it or something like that before he even puts it in his game bags and has to get a lot of that excess uh, heat off of the meat, And then, um, which really helps, too. Like, if you put that meat straight in your bag, and if it's not that breathable of a bag or, like, you put it straight in your backpack, you know, traps in all that heat. And if you've got an hour to hike back to the truck, then yeah, it, it could cause some problems. So yeah, meat care is, is kind of a huge part of it. So like when I'm, you know, deep five miles back in, in some basin and I know it's going to take my buddies, you know, a half a day to reach me, you know, to pack out this bull. I just, just want to make sure that, that everything's going to be done right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not just shooting a bull to, to shoot a bull. You know, I'm not out there to just kill a bull. I'm out there to also, you know, be a res- take the responsibilities of, of getting that meat back, uh,
0: you know. 100%. So, yeah, no, that's yeah. it, man. Yeah, it's, it sounds like um, you guys had some warmer temps. We were a little bit cooler around here. Uh, of course, the day I killed my bull, I don't think it got up to 50 degrees that day, which is always kind of nice when you're – Uh, Self butchering and packing. I did have Dan uh, help me for like the last load there, which was nice. Um, But yeah, it was a cooler day, which always makes a difference. But it's something you really got to consider killing elk. Uh, There's so much work to get out of country, and there's so much work even when you have friends. But then if you're by yourself, oh, my gosh, it's even tougher yet, you know, butchering those things and um, getting them flipped over and uh, uh, getting them taken care of and hung up. I do like your tip, too, about – The game bags and laying that meat out because when you kill that animal, it's 98 degrees or whatever that temperature and then you start butchering but if you don't lay out that meat and give it a chance to cool, you get it in that bag that maybe isn't breathable or it just seems like you get a bunch of meat in a bag, then it kind of keeps that heat within that that meat, you know, just because it's such a mass of meat then that you need to cool down when they're separate parts of meat and you lay them out, you you can get like a pretty decent chill. And you think even if it's 60 degrees out or 70 degrees, that's still a lot cooler than 98 when you kill them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, And that heat trapped in those bags that aren't that breathable. Yep. Uh, Brian, do you, do you mostly pack out your bowls quartered or do you debone them? Debone them. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I made that mistake uh, last year when I killed that pretty good bull. You know, we quartered it and packed it out. And man, that bones and stuff like that were, uh, were quiet. Hold on one sec. Sorry, my alarm went off for my kids. Sorry about that. No worries. You know what, hold on one sec. My, uh, my alarms are going to go off to pick up my kids
0: yeah. from school. Let yeah, do time- whatever you got to do. On- Let
1: me turn all that off real quick.
0: Mm-hmm. You got to ride for the kids? Yep. Okay, yep. good deal. Yeah, no worries. It is a riot being immersed in elk hunting and elk country, though, isn't it? Like, even when you're curled up in a ball and you got the whole middle of the day, at first it kind of seems weird. Like, you want to be productive in the middle of the day, and we have all these responsibilities, and we're trying to get shit done. And it's like you get to elk hunting, and then you're just sitting around for six, eight hours in the mountains and watching ants crawl around on the pine needles and stuff. But... Uh oh my gosh once you get in the rhythm of the elk woods and you're hunting them in morning and night and kind of sleep deprived and going hard and big miles and elevation so much fun man
1: Yeah it, it is nice like I came into this season and just you know with some friends and I knew we were going to have a fun hunt um it was more open terrain which I was pretty excited to try out cuz usually the elk hunting that I've done most of my life. I've, I've done eight elk hunts to this date and uh, been successful on five of them. But the first couple of years was super tough. I mean it's real thick country. Um, just trying to find an elk was was really hard uh, to even get a play on. but uh, and then the it was nice changing it up and doing some more open terrain. It reminded me a lot of like what you do and how you glass from like the roads and you glass the you glass into the mountain range, um, you know, with some heavy optics, uh, some high powered optics and then find them in that morning, evening time. And then, you know, you have a play for vice versa. But, uh, so that was cool, uh, playing that game instead of kind of just having to go off of bugles, you know, thicker terrain, you kind of, you gotta have them calling. Like, if you don't have them calling in that thick stuff, good luck trying to find them, right? Needle in a haystack. But uh, that open stuff, you got some good optics, man. And, and like you said, getting to a vantage point, leaving an hour in the dark and getting to a good good peak, good rage that overlooks just a ton of country. And, you know, you're picking up multiple elk popping out at different places, you know, and then you get a little bit of higher, higher powered magnification on them, and you're like, hey, that's a good bull I want to go after. Or, no, that that's a small bull on over there, whatever. So it, it is good to have some sort of high powered optic. Um, you know what we were using, Brian was was that that new Sig 20 by image stabilizing vinyls. Mm-hmm. Man, unbelievable! Nice. What a game changer! Right Like you didn't anus picked up a pair. So you didn't have to carry a tripod. You didn't have to carry a big, heavy spotter. You've literally got these 20 by 40 SIGs that weigh what my 12 by binos weigh. You know, they're lightweight, you know, they're super lightweight. So Janus was running those full time and I was running the 12 bys. And every time we glass up elk, if they're kind of a little bit tough for me to see in my 12s, I was like, hey, let me see your 20s. You know what I mean? And I'd flip that switch and it was just like, you could tell exactly if it was a good bowl or not. So God, man, what a game changer. Those things were crazy.
0: Oh, good. I've been running Definitely. them this season in my pack as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's always that instance where you can't see quite what you want, but like 95% of the time, those 20s will show you everything you need to see, whether it's a, a big shooter or not. So it is a game changer, and you you we must cut about five pounds out of our pack with that deal.
1: Exactly, and that's huge. You know, spike camping out and stuff like that. Um, yeah, like you said, you might not be able to see that bull how good he is five miles away. But you can see how good he is two and a half to three miles away,
0: mm-hmm. you know. 100%.
1: Like. And that's that's good for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but,
1: uh, but, yeah, get, you know, getting to those ridges, like you said, you know, in the dark and, and being up there for that first light. Because you don't know if these elk are going to make their way into that thick timber a half an hour after light, an hour after light. You know, like you said, those guys came up to that ridge around eight thirty, nine, nine o'clock in the morning, and those elk were already in the thick timber. They had no idea. So yeah, that that's a huge part. Finding those vantage points that you can really see a lot of country and 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 get a good uh get you know surveillance of what's in the area
0: Mm -hmm. and you 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 said um you'd be able to spot them from far like you mentioned some pretty big distances were you able to glass them from like the valley floor way up in the mountains and then see some elk in there and then go okay that's a place we need to get up into and then get a closer look and and uh get a look at those elk were you able to locate them like that far away
1: Yeah. A couple of times we'd be in the valley glassing up into the mountains and then we'd see them coming out either morning or evening. Uh, we do that play. And then a couple of times we would hike in the dark up to these, uh, vantage points and then sit on those for the, uh, you know, the early morning hours.
0: It's better, isn't it? Being up in the mountains. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You get a little closer, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? You can, definitely see them a lot better they don't look like ants
0: mm-hmm. when you can just <laughs> pick so. apart the folds a little bit better and you just don't see mm-hmm. them all when you're looking from afar it seems like when you get up in there you can hear them then you can uh, see more of those folds you can see them cross some uh, smaller parks and things so it, you're just almost better to just commit and get into country into a spot but you know every once in a while you get a free morning or a free evening it's like oh let's just glass and try to find some that we'll have for tomorrow but yeah I'm with you I think a lot of times it's better just to um, commit and get into country
1: yeah and and then you know if, if you can glass them up from far then you're like hey you know I like to kind of put camp on my back, go up there for the evening, you know, try to, like you said, get closer to them, see what's going on. Maybe you can get a play that evening. If not, you've got your camp set up, you're, you're there, you know, you post up. That next morning, they're still right there in that same area, and you, you can just play the game a lot better than if you have to hike in and out every single day, you know what I mean?
0: 100% so, man we put so many miles on when you're trying to hike in and out and that lightweight camp for an overnight or for a two day man is that the way to go yeah you just throw everything you need for a day or two and then you make the effort to get in there and then you've got a couple hunts and you also don't feel as rushed as when you hike in for just mm-hmm. an evening hunt and make this huge climb in and you've got to hike out that night you almost feel pressured to make a play where you're you, you can almost be trying to force something at times.
1: Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah, trying to force it because, you know what I mean, you're losing light. or You're like, oh, man, I got to hike all the way back in here the next morning. (laughs) And that that runs through your your head a little bit. You're like, Jesus, wish I had my sleeping bag with me right now. You know, just post up. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, So getting back uh, to – so I did – have a play on, I think it was day seven. Um, let's jump back a couple days. days. Uh, so I think I, that, that play I had on that spike was like day two. Janus had a good play day one. And then it wasn't until about day four, day five. Um, we were spike camped back in some elk. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we made some good plays just just couldn't capitalize um and we kind of just stayed up in the mountain for a couple nights and then we had this one growler and we know he was big he come down to this river one of these little side rivers right that was up one of these drainages way back in there and he'd come down to this river and uh so it was our last night spiking um, or sorry, uh, that afternoon. So we went down into the river for him, and sure enough, you know he comes, and another bull comes into play, and now we got two bulls. Just I, I don't think there's no better play than when you have two bulls going off, right? Because you literally one just gets the other one so fired up that they're just both going off, and is, if they're talking, you can cut the distance pretty quick and get into them pretty fast. So this evening, we're heading back to base camp in that direction, and uh, the big bull is there, and and he's battling off with this other bull. And we have to kind of make our way down this kind of rocky shale slope, and they're down on this bench. And the the rocky shale is loud, right? And, I mean, we're just trying to tippy-toe down this stuff. And it's still loud, but we made our way down into that bench without being heard or seen. And we got onto that bench, and we're creeping through the timber. And, you know, they're piping off every five minutes. So it's like we know exactly where to go. And we get within about that 100-yard mark of this herd bull in the thick timber. Now, we can't see him. We could see some of his cows about 50 yards away or so. And we start really slowing up our pace, right, to where it's like we're taking a step every couple steps every minute, you know what I mean? Cause you just never know what's going to happen. And Janus was about 20, 30 yards in front of me. And I kind of played the back game cause you never know where they're going to come out at. They can circle around, come out by me. They can, you know, even though he's in front and we know he's closer, you just never know. So, so we're both prepared and all of a sudden that big bull pushes that other bull right to Janus, right? And I mean on a dead sprint, that other bull goes and stops twenty yards from Janus and looks right up at him. And then bolts. Like basically and and Janus was set up perfectly kinda on the side of a tree. But that freaking that other bull picked Janus off. I don't know if Janus moved a little bit or what that bull saw, but he took off, he ran. You know what's crazy, Brian, is that he didn't bark. He didn't do anything. He just got chased away by a bigger bull. And he was a good six by. And he just ran away and took the whole herd with him. It's it's crazy that they know like he didn't bark. It, the big bull chased them away. Big bull turns around, goes back to his cows. That bull sees Janus, runs away, and takes the herd with him. How does the herd know that that bull seen Janus? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's crazy. It's <laughs>
0: they're they're reading body yeah. language like it's uh, like it's uh, uh, verbal language for us. You know, they can just read his mannerisms and know he's spooked and know he's seen something, and they're. Uh, switched on enough to be able to realize it. But that is, that's so crazy, dude. That other bull could chase that bull. So he's obviously spooked running away. And then they can tell the difference between that and when he sees Janus and then he's running from Janus and to take that whole herd. That's absolutely nuts, isn't it?
1: Yeah. You know, I was thinking, oh, whatever about that bull. We'll get back on the big one. Next thing we know, the big one's, you know, a mile and a half down into the river bottom over by our base camp. And funny story was our uh, my other buddy that was with his uh, fiance, she had a tag and they ended up getting on that big bull that we were after. And they were just like they got to 60. And I think she was effective out to about 40 or so. And he was out in the open meadow down by the river bottom going crazy. And they're like, holy cow, he was a big bull big, big, big bull. (laughs) We're like, we're this close, you know what I mean? And then he just blows that other bull right to Janus and the whole thing blows up on us. But yeah, that's pretty awesome. You know, just, just that whole stock going down in on them while they're just going off is, is probably what grabs me the most in elk hunting. You know what I mean? Getting in between two, two bulls going crazy, man. I I don't think he can beat it. I think that's, that's the best
0: you're You're right, I think that competition that multiple bowls like that, and especially when you get two herd bowls or two mature bowls. It it's like uh, the most fired up they can get. And it seems like that's when you hear the most bugles. It's like one bull with his cows. Yeah, he may order them around or cows come into estrus and they rut and they bugle. But what really starts those rut fests is that competition like that, trying to keep those satellite bulls out. And then when you can get two herd bulls that are back and forth, it just seems like they go nuts. They can't stand it, man. And it it is some of the most exciting hunting. Like I can think I'm tired or worn out. And uh I think, you know, I, I'm sure you guys did a pile of miles too, but I, I we were at the forty or fifty mile range, you know, in like a handful of days and, and you think you're just worn out and you don't wanna climb and you're back in there and you're checking more ri- one more ridge and then you hear a bugle. And it's all of a sudden you don't feel fatigued at all. You feel like you could run up that mountain. You feel like you'll do whatever it takes. Like those bugles, they sure have a way to like kick you in the butt and motivate you. It's like you can be dog tired and think, ah, I don't even know how I'm going to get out of here. You just feel like you don't want to be hiking anymore. And you hear a bugle and your ears perk up. And pretty soon you're ready to go run up the mountain again. You know, it's like whatever it takes. But yeah, it um, it sure is exciting hunting
1: super exciting yeah and and i mean calling one in yourself and bugling and playing the game with them that way is pretty badass too Mm -hmm. i just like when there's another bull involved doing all the work for you Mm -hmm. (laughs) You for sure
0: you guys able to call Uh, some in while you were there
1: uh you know i didn't call very much and okay so let's get to my story so it's day seven and you know, we're ready to take that intermission, right? Go back to town, go shower, go get a burger or something like that. It's day seven. It's the last day. But we uh, we glassed up some elk the evening before, and uh, we went back in there that next morning, me and Janus, <clears throat> and we're, we get up to the ridge, and 400 yards across in the sage, right where we put them to bed, they're right there right? Going off in the sage, a herd bull with about eight or 10 cows or so say, okay, still there. So we drop down into the saddle. We hook around the timber line and there's a spine that kind of comes down that separates kind of a broken timber face with an open sage face. And they're in the open sage face. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to come from the broken timber face peek over this little spine that that kind of separates the two right and they should um, pretty much be in bow range 50 to 60 yards away so we start cutting through the timber and i'm just about to to and i'm down in the river bottom about to come up into that broken uh timbered country and you know it's only 100 yards away from where i need to get to and i look up and there's a raghorn and two spikes on that side of the face And I'm like, great, okay, now we can't go with that plan. So we back out, and we keep an eye on these, this raghorn and these two spikes, and they bed down. And I'm like, oh, my God, all right. So we stay back. The wind was blowing down, up, and in our face. The only direction it wasn't blowing was towards that side, you know what I mean? So we would have had good wind if we went to that side. So we basically just sit down and we kind of took turns. Like I took a nap for a couple hours while Janus watched the spike and a Raghorn. And then when I got up, I kept eyes on them. And then finally what ended up happening was another bull came up the river drainage below. And by this time it's four or five o'clock in the afternoon, right? We've been there since the crack of light. And this other bull started making the herd bull go crazy and so the spikes and the raghorn crested over that spine and went back towards the herd and I was like Janus if you want to go after that bull in the river bottom go after that bull you know what I mean and and I'll you know start making my play up here to go after the herd bull and he's like okay sounds good so he circles back and um he goes after that bull in the drainage Well, what ended up happening was the herd bull branched off of his cows, came down, and Janus is like, there's about to be a rumble, right? He's coming to fight that other bull at the river bottom. So I kind of cut down a little bit, and I cut over, and I'm in the river, and I hear clash, 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 clash. And I'm like, oh, they're fighting. Okay, this is my opportunity. And I basically didn't want to get above him didn't want to get below him cuz the wind was blowing up and down i just came straight at a, a side angle straight into him and i looked up and that herd bull was raking right the tree at 61 yards it wasn't he wasn't fighting the other bull he was raking a tree so you know i'm like oh my god it's been 7 days i finally got my opportunity right arrow's knocked range the tree 61 yards it's all open this is like one of the only little trees in that whole sage area, 61 yards. and am like, I've been shooting out to a hundred. Like I've got the 61 yards in the bag, no problem. And, uh, so I just need him to step out. So he ends up like annihilating this tree for literally 10 minutes. And he did it so long, Brian, it like calmed my nerves. Cause in the beginning I was like seven days. Oh my God, here's my opportunity. Right. I'm all like, Oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then after 10 minutes later, I'm like, come on, would you step out already? You know what I mean? Let's go. Let's get the show on the road. So he steps out behind this tree. As soon as I see him turn to step out, I draw back. And I've got my my 60, my bottom pin, my floater pin on him. And he steps out and he's he starts quartering away from me, walking towards his cows at a slow walk. And... I'm just like full draw, like, oh my god, sixty he's probably at like sixty-five for now. Just put my my pin up just a tad, aim for his shoulder, and he's gonna walk right into my arrow. Right. Let the shot break. Shot feels perfect. Bull does a, a mule kick, runs to his uh, cows. I can't see because he crested over that that spine. And right away, I called Janus. I was like, Janus, I just shot him. I just shot him. He's like, what? No way, no way. So he's glassing up that face that I can't see. He's like, I see the bull. I see the bull. He's like, oh, I see your arrow. He's like, oh, it looks like you hit him a little forward. I'm like, oh, my God, no way. Are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, you hit him forward. I'm like, oh, my God, just like, you know, just depleted, right? And, and basically what happened was, I led my arrow by aiming at his shoulder, thinking he was going to walk into it. I hit him right in the shoulder, right where I was aiming. And so when I went back to base camp later on that afternoon or later on that evening, and the first thing out of my buddy's, my other friend's mouth was like, why didn't you stop him? And I was like, I didn't even think to stop that bull. If I would have stopped that bull, that bull would have been dead. If I would have, like, done a bleep, a meat, merr, rat, reap, whatever, that bull would have stopped, looked back at me, arrows come in. You know what I mean? Because it was perfect height. It was just a little forward. I hit him in the shoulder blade. Basically, Mosquito bit his ass because, Janus said, the arrow popped right out. Um, And then we watched that bull run in the open stage for miles, rutting his cows. You know what I mean? He was completely fine. But I just basically mosquito bit his ass right in his shoulder blade with my with my arrow. And I went up there, looked at the blood, and it was literally like a little speck of blood in the snow, like every every couple of steps. You know what I mean? Just very, very minute. And so that made me feel better that, you know what I mean? He was going to live and he was fine. But to not even think to stop him. I don't know what was going through my head. I was so caught up in the moment. My pin was steady, was on him. I was like, I'm just going to lead him just a little tiny bit, and he's going to walk right into my arrow, and it's going to be perfect. And I ended up hitting him right where I was aiming. Mm. Just brutal, bro. <laughs>
0: oh, dude, heartbreaker. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. So learned a valuable lesson, man. And, and you learn these lessons – by these mistakes mm-hmm. like it, it and i remember when we were in the breaks and i told you you know should i have stopped that bull I remember when he passed me at 35 yards and you're like yeah you should have stopped them but i didn't i'm just not used to stopping animals i guess because we hunt axes so much and if you stop them it's like those things are gone you know so but uh yeah so of course every day after that i had a read in my mouth just in case i needed to stop Stoppable. but i could have yelled at the thing he probably would have stopped you know
0: (laughs) totally well yeah they're just different species right it's like uh you stop those axis and they're on such high alert that then they jump your string and so you hardly ever want to stop them on purpose because they're so jumpy but those elk are a different species where when you stop them they wait on the arrow and Especially like it doesn't work to stop them once they're spooked or trying to walk away. But if they're not spooked or don't know you're there and you give a little bleep or a little noise, yeah, that definitely works. And then send the arrow on their way. But, yeah, that's the tough thing, man, is all these lessons are learned the hard way through heartache and heartbreak. And it's like, man, that's how you learn and how you get better. And um, it's like all these skills, uh, these bow hunting skills. They, they correlate to different species, but all these different species have a little bit different tendencies that you have to get used to in hunting them. I and not that, you know, you're a, a, a well-versed, experienced elk hunter, but yeah, sometimes those nuances will get you, you know, and they get all of us in that shoulder is just so tough to get through on a bull elk, you know. It just doesn't get through there, and it doesn't hurt him, which is, you know, like you say, I've seen him hit in the shoulder and go right back to rutting like it didn't even hurt him at all, which sounds like it was the case for your bull as well. So it's good to know that, you know, he wasn't hitting the guts and not something that died or uh, you feel responsible about there. But, yeah, man, that's a heartbreaker, probably a real nice six too, huh?
1: Yeah, he he wasn't like a giant by any means, but he was a decent six. Yeah. You know, and, um not to put like numbers on, on bulls, but you get kind of a picture of what he was like, you know. Anything for for me, a decent six is is what I'm after. Um and uh yeah, I mean he was probably a three twenty bull or so. It's a great something bowl. like that.
0: Yeah, you passed quite yeah. a few fives in the satellites while you were on the trip?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. This one time, I hiked way back into this basin uh, by myself. I was a few miles back, and, and there was some good wallows back in there. And, and I was talking to Janus on the phone. I'm like, man, I hear the wimpiest bugle down here. It's got to be a guy, right? has to be a dude. Like It's right above these wallows that we actually ran into some guys uh, back in there some days prior. And sure enough, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wrap the backside of this basin so I can glass into these this broken timber and see if I can pick up this dude bugling so sure enough i wrapped the back side of the bass in i glassed up this broken timber and what do you know it's it's a small six
0: <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're
1: kidding me he had the wimpiest bugle i ever heard like it was horrible sounding and it ended up being a small six by um but uh yeah in the beginning definitely you know, um i wasn't i was just out to have a good time and, and if the shot presented itself on a a good bull, you know, I'd take it, but definitely wasn't out to, to shoot anything on the smaller end. Um, so what ended up happening was, uh, that whole grouse scenario with Janus was like literally day 10 the evening of day 10, the next morning we're packing up base camp and we're taking off. Uh, and then we fly out the very next day. Well, that next morning I was like, you know, I'm going to, it was only about a mile away from base to where you know Janus had that opportunity on that good that good bull. I was like, you know, he was gonna sleep in. He was he was pretty defeated already. He had a few really good opportunities that he just. He, he, You know, he basically uh, called it quits already. He was good, you know what I mean? He was content with the opportunities he had. I was like, you know, I'm going to go back here this one last morning for a couple hours. You know, the hunt usually only lasts till about 8 o'clock, and the wind gets all squirrely, and, you know, I'll come back. So I took off an hour before light, made my way up into that area that James got on that good six with that whole grouse blowing up on him, and... I basically made my way up there, and and I was trying to uh, listen for bugles, and I didn't hear much, and it was about an hour and a half after light, and I look up, and I see this tan, I see this tan elk body about 300 feet above me on this bench come out, and I was like, oh, there's an elk right there, okay, put my binos up, I was like, oh, it's a raghorn, but we ended up seeing this group of like four raghorns throughout the hunt a few days prior. We knew they were in the area, and we knew there was actually one decent bull with these raghorns. So there's like three raghorns, and then this one bull was kind of like a six-by-five. He was a decent bull. Nothing like that big or anything, but a decent bull. So I'm looking at these raghorns feed out 300 yards above me, and <clears throat> I basically was like, you know, not even like a mile from camp, and I knew the boys wanted some elk meat right so a lot of things were going through my head so I ended up climbing this 300 foot uh sage hill and crested up to the top looking into this bench and there was the other three other raghorns so there's four raghorns total and then I seen the one that was the bigger one I was like wow you know he's actually a decent bull I was like hmm let me see how this goes you know so I just Played the cool and calm game. I was like, no big deal, you know, if I shot him or not. Um, Let's just see how it plays out. He lets me get up to 25 yards on him. So I'm 25 yards on him. The other three bulls kind of fed off, and he's kind of behind a tree. And I feel like he senses something's up. And he literally just – so I got my phone out, and I'm videoing him behind this tree for literally like six or seven minutes. And he's kind of looking, he's looking at my my beanie, right? I swear he's looking at my head and my beanie. Cause that's the only thing he can see, because I'm on the down slope of the hill, and he's up on the bench 25 yards away. And I just stay frozen and I'm just just filming him video. And you can see him kind of look, and he's like, Man, grass kind of tastes good, but I I feel like there's a hunter right there. But I don't know, this grass looks pretty delicious. He ends up going down and eating a little bit and then he took a few steps out from that tree i'm like well if he lets me get the full draw you know i'm just gonna take my time with this and i get the full draw and i settle my pin on him you know of course top pin shot he's at 25 yards and he's slightly quartering away and i'm like you know what i love elk meat too much to let this ball pass and i ended up smoking him, and uh yeah, double-lunged him, and he ran 20 yards and got the phone back out, videoed him as he stood there and toppled over. And, and uh, yeah, a lot of things went through my head, man. It was like I wasn't really going to shoot a smaller bull, didn't have any intentions. But then, you know, a couple guys at camp really wanted some elk meat, and I love elk meat too, you know what I mean? And, and the other thing was we were pretty close to base camp so all these thoughts went through my head I had my my younger boy Amari in my my head about you know daddy I hope you get one I hope you get one you know every day I'd call him at home he's like did you get one yet did you get one so all that stuff in my head I was just like you know what this bull lets me come full draw and has no idea and I can just settle that pin perfectly I'm, I'm gonna shoot this bull and it just all came together and and the bull went 20 yards and piled up and I called Janice and Eric up. <clears throat> I was like, Janice, yeah, so I just shot a, a smaller bull. And he's like, what? He's like, are you serious? Because <laughs> it, it was the last morning. <laughs> like, hey. He's like, where are you? I sent him a pin. He's like, oh, you're way up there. I'm like, I'm not that far up here. I'm only like a mile away, if that. He's like, okay, no worries. You're not that far. Um So, uh, him and Eric, his brother-in-law ended up coming up and meeting me up there and, and it it was an easy pack out. We deboned it and packed it out all three of us one time to base camp. And yeah, it was, and, and they're stoked. They're super stoked on the meet. So it was just, it was just meant to be.
0: Oh, good for you, dude. Congratulations. Yeah, you don't got to feel bad about killing an elk, especially last day like that. It's like we love to hunt them too much as well, you know. So, uh, you know, you held out till the very last day on the bull you wanted. And then there is a a bull up there that's a decent bull and you got your bow and arrow and you're in the States. It's like nothing wrong with that. Shoot that thing a mile from camp, pack them out, have elk meat. Oh, you're stoked, dude. Um, Yeah, good work. And it feels so good to have have, like quality execution make a great shot go 20 yards tip over like uh just to have that all go down on the last day like that caps the trip as well dude that's awesome
1: yeah yeah it, it did feel like uh it, it did cap the trip for sure um yeah it, it felt good <clears throat> hiking that meat out and uh that everybody's gonna get some elk meat throughout the year hmm
0: for yeah. sure yeah, oh, it that it elk was... meat eats so good too. And I know you had uh, buddies from Alaska there, so they probably don't get m- much for elk meat, you know? And so to be able to share it with those guys, man, it's, um, it, it's not quite the perfect ending with your giant six point, but dude, it's as good as you can get. Like it's a, as close to a perfect ending as you can get to arrow a bull on the last day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just,
0: it
1: was, <clears throat> it's, whether there was an elk shot or not, it was just a phenomenal trip. Everybody had a blast. Everybody was getting opportunities. I mean, it couldn't have been better of a trip. It, it literally was the best elk hunt I've ever been on, and it wasn't even due to shooting a, a big bull or anybody shooting a big bull by any means. It was just everything else that went into it that made it the best elk hunt I've ever been on.
0: Oh, that's killer, man. Action just makes it, doesn't it? When you're getting into them and chasing them and making plays and trying to theorize, like you're totally engaged in the hunt, makes for the funnest hunt.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, coming back to camp and, and talking with the boys and how their hunt went every, you know, every day that we weren't spiked out, it's just fun to me, you know, hearing everybody's stories and all the close calls and, laughing and you know just a riot you know it was just such a good time yeah all right i really enjoyed
0: well well, i'm in for next year yeah we'll have to figure out where we're gonna go or what we're gonna do but yeah i definitely missed out not being able to hunt elk with you so yeah we got to get together and do it again but um good going on that bull dude i'm glad you had such a great elk hunt and um we continue to learn each and every year, all of us, you know, it's the way it is and um, elk meat for another year for you. So it's a success and we'll start planning on um, the following year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, and you know, I, I like sharing my failures, you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to hold back from saying, Hey, I wounded a boy. Like I'm going to express what happened to me. And if that helps somebody else in the field, you know, stop a bull when they need to stop them and, and smoke it rather than uh, take a shot while he's on a walk or whatever. I mean, it's just lesson learned. And, and it, it definitely will not happen to me again. Because the one at the breaks I ended up getting, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But this one I know for sure I would have got if I would have stopped them. Yep. So if that can help somebody else down the line, not make – the same mistake that I did, then then it's all all worth it
0: yeah and that yeah. one in the breaks you shot walking you'd mentioned that at 35 yards he was walking and hit him and hit him perfect and killed him and so it worked out and then you had this one dude i think it's beautiful i think like we have to share our failures because um yeah there's like uh it's a reality of elk hunting is those elk are so dang tough and they take such a perfect shot And the reality is, is it's part of bow hunting. And if we never share those failures or if we never share those shortcomings, the guys that do have them, you know, feel like they're the only ones or feel like that these, these good hunters, you know, it never happens to them or they never make any mistakes when the reality is that we all make mistakes, you know, and we all make these judgment calls and we're chasing these animals so hard to try to get a good quality arrow in them and Um, there's just so many variables that it doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes it's a, a crummy story. And I think it's important to share that. And I think it's like, um, I I think it's, like it's really good of you to share that experience like on the podcast and be able to tell guys that and, and then, you know, to come away and to get it right and make perfect execution on another bowl and make it happen like like it worked out and we learn from that and we become better. But dude, I think it's um I just think it's great that, that you share your failures as well. And and I try to do the same. Man, when I'm failing I try to share it with guys and if I mess up or if I make a bad shot it's the same. I wanna share it so guys can learn from it and like like you said, if one guy learned from it and stops that bull before he shoots or tries to take him on the walk or, or whether it's like, you know, learning from some of my mistakes and, you know, waiting and not shooting through limbs or waiting for the right angle or whatever the case is, like, man, that stuff happens to us. So, man, I, I just appreciate your, like, honesty and um, forthcoming, like, on the podcast because I do think it really helps guys out.
1: All right, on That's awesome, man. And congrats on your elk, Brian
0: um yeah yeah thanks a bunch man yeah you're the man uh it's really fun to catch up to you um so yeah keep in touch and we'll talk soon
1: okay sounds good buddy thank you
0: all right thank you all right guys that's a wrap fun conversation with my buddy sean i i love um how honest and authentic he is on that podcast and then it's so good to to get on here when when hunts are fresh in our mind and that hunts fresh in sean's mind made for a great recording and again he just picked up that really good utah tag couldn't be more stoked for him as he's still chasing bulls around A guy just loves to hunt elk So pulling for him on that hunt and uh, be able to hang out with him here for a couple days on this deer hunt, which will be fun. So looking forward to that as well. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors for today's show. Thanks again to Element, spelled L-M-N-T, Science-Backed Hydration. Uh, Again, you can get that landing page for uh, the free gift uh, so, they'll give you like free samples of all their flavors so you can figure out which one you like. Just go to drinkelement.com backslash elevated. And um, thanks again to Matthews. Uh, thank you so much for sending me this new lift bow. I couldn't be more pumped to get this thing set up and shooting. I will be working on it tonight when I get home off work and uh, I won't be taking it on this next mule deer hunt as I just don't have enough time for this weekend to spend with it. But this will be the bow that travels with me for all next season and uh, just couldn't be more stoked with it. Just the shootability of Matthews as. um, been so good these last handful of years. So I, I really like it. So can't wait to fire an arrow out of this thing. I'll keep you guys updated on that. And check everything out over at Eastman's. Uh yeah, we've got this new beyond the grid um, hitting. And uh man, check out the Mule Deer course is still available. Uh you can get that um that gift by putting in the promo code Brian MDC. That'll get you that Mule Deer course. Uh, check out our tag hub. Uh, so Tag Hub 2.0, we've got a new mapping system with it, uh, really organized data uh, to be able to um, plan for these hunts coming up next season. So uh, be early to that. You can put in the promo code Brian, save a little bit of money there. And um, man, I think that's, I think I covered it. I think that's it. Um, yeah, I've been running um, in semi-chaos here, trying to manage everything with, with um, work and the podcast and um, also with my hunting as uh have been going all over. Had some amazing adventures this year. Had some great success. Super pumped on it and um, I'm down to my last hunt of the year. Time flies when you're having fun. Uh, so I'm really excited to give it my all on these last couple late season hunts and, and um, well it's It's one tag, but I got a couple dates planned on it. So going to shoot down this weekend and look around a bit and then um, shoot back after a week. So super pumped with that. And, uh, yeah, just want to give it my all on this hunt. And then, um, you know, we'll get to focusing on next season. So um, got a good run in last night, getting my lifting in, just getting back in the routine, um, uh, shooting Uh, making sure that I'm shooting a bunch of arrows through that bow and keeping sharp there. And uh, I'll start working to improve my game here for next season, start to plan my hunts out as I'm already, you know, starting to scheme which tags I want to get and I'm going to apply for. But, um, yeah, couldn't be more pumped to, like, finish up this season and then um, focus on next season, just trying to be better and um, be the best version of myself. And that's physically, mentally, shooting, uh, time in the field. So yeah, um, really going to structure things well for next season and, uh, really excited to get focused on it. And, um, you know, definitely back to family life here and, um, a, a bit of normalcy as I've been going so hard throughout season, but I have had so much fun. It's just been an absolute riot. Uh, we're so fortunate to like have found our passion and find what we truly love to do. And that's, uh, what I feel every day when, um, focused on bow hunting. So yeah, it's so cool. So uh, thanks a bunch, you guys. I really appreciate the support, downloads of the podcast. Uh, again, those reviews really help. I mean, type a review or just give us five stars. It's super easy to do on the, the iTunes app or the iTunes. That's where I get music. The um, iPodcast, I, wherever you download podcasts. There, Spotify, uh, everything else. So uh, yeah, thanks a bunch for those. Those really help. The shares on social media. Uh, just trying to keep this, um, podcast rolling and, and definitely going to put, uh, some intentional focus into it here now that we're finishing up season and, um, continue to get you guys good guests and great information to make you better Western hunters. So, uh, thanks a bunch for listening in you guys. I really appreciate you and, uh, check in with you next week.